Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high-income earners come to learn wealth-building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth-building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast. We talk all things money and business. My name is Christian Allen. I'm here with my co-host, Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, we are going to talk about an extremely exciting topic today. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get to it. But yep. but how are you? I'm doing great. And I just have to let everybody know that uh, probably about the time this thing gets uh, released is about the time where Christian will be getting married. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you. Congratulations. It's soon. It's the 12th. Uh, so that's like less than two weeks away. Yeah. Crazy. Yep. Getting married in Maui. And then... Uh, we're going to come back and do the reception in my backyard. So yeah. it should be fun. Rod, are yeah, you going to make it? To the I'll reception? be there. Well, at okay. first I told you I would be to your wedding and then uh, and then I found out I wasn't invited. <laughs> and and uh, so I decided, okay, well, I'll, I'll do the reception. Well, yeah. to be fair, we didn't really invite anybody <laughs> just to make it easy. So, yeah. But, but anyway, yes, thank you, Rod. We're super excited about that. So Heather, who also works in the business, um, is my fiance and we've been together for probably almost four years now. Um, and so we are now merging merging families. She has three kids. I have two. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be a mixed family here. But anyway, we're excited about it. So thanks, Rod. Yeah, absolutely. So Christian no longer has two kids. No longer. I will be a five-kid household. Yikes. Sweet. Okay. All right, Rodney. Well, today, like I said, we're going to be talking about an extremely intriguing topic. Now, I I say that jokingly, but these are questions that we get relatively frequently. And so we're hitting on a subject that um, is frequently asked to us. So the subject for today is life insurance in a trust. And so what we're going to do is we're going to let Rod do what Rod does. I'm going to try to keep it uh, exciting. And he is going to give us all the information. So the good stuff, the bad stuff, Rod, you're just going to give it to us. I think, I think, you know, I, I say that all tongue in cheek, but again, like we're getting these questions regularly. So we're going to just hit it right on the head. Okay. Let's do it. And my son Hiram just a minute ago, he said, talk about the good stuff. So, um, so we cannot leave that out. I have to make yeah, sure. Good advice. Okay. Sure. Thanks Hiram. We're going to talk about good stuff. Okay, and the good stuff we're going to start with, Rod, is we're going to start with our typical experience with estate planning attorneys. Yeah. Yeah, so not infrequently, we'll get contacted by a client who will say, hey, I was meeting with my estate planning attorney, and we're we're putting some things together. And uh, as soon as I mentioned I have life insurance, they told me, hey, let's, let's put all of that inside of an irrevocable life insurance trust. It's almost and, like just the automatic reaction, right? Yeah, which estate makes planning sense. attorneys are thinking about estate planning, and so yep. in that context, it's like the automatic response is just, "Okay, if you have life insurance, you got to make sure it's in an islet." Yep, and we often talk about the tax benefits of life insurance, and so this is probably one area that mm. we maybe don't spend as much time on in terms of what happens with the life insurance claim the death benefit when it pays out uh, as it relates to estate taxes. Because uh, unless you've done anything differently and things we're going to talk about today or, or with that estate planning attorney, 
when life insurance pays out, that death benefit lands inside of your estate. And so it's counted to as part of your estate as it relates to estate taxes. Okay. So Rod, maybe you should clarify, like, I know that most people listening to this are relatively sophisticated, but what does it mean to be inside your estate or outside your estate? Okay, great. Great question. So the uh, IRS has specific uh, number that if you are under that number, then you don't have to worry about estate taxes when you pass. If your uh, estate is larger than that number, then you are subject to the estate tax, which as of right now is, is a 40% tax on everything above the annual exemption. And right now the annual exemption is about 25 million for a couple, 12, 13 million for a, an individual. In 2025, it's scheduled to sunset and cut in half. So 12, 13 million for a couple, six, 7 million for an individual. Mm, that's a big difference. It is a huge yep. difference. And here's the thing over the years, Rod, especially the last five years, I can't tell you how many times we've heard people just say, oh, I'm not, I'm nowhere close to the estate tax limit, so I'm not mm -hmm. going to worry about it, mm -hmm. right? And what's yeah. really ironic about that is that it wasn't, you know, it was probably 10 years ago that it was like 2 million. I right. can't remember the, but when I was early in the business, it was like, you know, it was really low. I think it was one five per individual and like three mm -hmm. for a couple or something crazy like that. Uh, and then it got this, obviously this really big jump up to the, you know, I think it was like 10, 10, 11 initially, and it's kind of climbed and steadily since. Yep. Yeah. And so that, that is why the estate planning attorney is telling, is telling people that is because if I have, regardless of what it is, right, 3 million, 5 million, $20 million of, of life insurance that pays out upon my death, that has to be included in my planning as far as estate tax purposes. Uh, and so what an estate planning attorney is, is telling you to do is, hey, let's just get all of that insurance inside of uh, an irrevocable life insurance trust so that when it passes, it passes outside of your estate. And so when that calculation is done for estate taxes, that death benefit is not included as part of the conversation. So it makes yep, sense. And I think that's right? important. Yep. So so you're going to tell us, Rod, why as we work through the strategies that we teach people, sometimes it doesn't make sense to do that. Right. Yeah. Because with give the, the opposite advice of your estate planning attorney. Just yeah. <laughs> it's, that's always great, right? To go back to the estate planning attorney and tell them what's going on. And so really that, at the end of the day, that's really what I'm, what I'm suggesting people do is they not just say, Hey, I have this life insurance, but say, this is how I use it. Cause that can help them understand, Oh, it's not just life insurance. If it's just life insurance, then it's easy. The decision is easy on you know what to do with it, but if you're yeah, doing if it's other a death benefit it, exclusively, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Rod. But I was just no. thinking like death benefit exclusively. That's easy. Right? We mm -hmm. just know what we're doing. But if we're using utilizing the living benefits of life insurance, then that's where this idea of putting it in an irrevocable life insurance trust ends up becoming a challenge. Now, yep. Rod, I think what we need to do, uh, and and we'll get to this in a second, but. I think what will be really helpful is to make sure people understand the difference between revocable and irrevocable mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, they can put kind of this, this idea of whether it makes sense. And we're suggesting that sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't yeah. uh, to put that in like a, in a better context. Yeah. And to begin with, we're not attorneys, so mm. uh, we, we don't disclaimer. even play attorneys Important on TV. One. Yep. Um, 
and uh, did you say we only play them on TV? I said we don't even play. Oh, we don't TV. even. Okay, I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, I like it, Rod. But I, I would have been. I thought it would have been great had you said you only play it on TV too. So yeah, it was tempting. It was a good comment either way. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's let's hit on that uh, revocable and irrevocable trusts as we understand them. Okay, so uh, revocable uh, trust. Again, a good disclaimer. <laughs> well said. Okay, right. so here's the thing. Rod's pretty smart, um, and he does understand at least the concepts that we're going to be talking about. And as they relate to life insurance, we understand them quite well. So yeah. you can feel pretty confident, but we are not attorneys. And and we're happy to work with your attorney. So absolutely. again, if, if in my opening comments, I was suggesting you shouldn't be working with me, you absolutely should. Uh, these uh, are just call. some things to be aware of when you are. Okay. Yeah, oh. and that's important. Almost everybody that we work with has a, has an estate planning attorney. Yep. Okay, Rod, let's get into the difference between revocable and irrevocable trusts. Okay, perfect. So revocable is is pretty simple. It's also commonly known as like a living trust. Uh, basically, a person is setting up the trust. They retain control of their assets, but they do it for some specific reasons. And so... The, those reasons may be that the trust can take over at the time of your death or disability. Uh, it helps you avoid probate. This is probably What's the most probate? common. Yeah, this is probably the most common thing okay. that's I reason that's thrown out there. Basically, probate is if you don't have a trust set up, even if you have a will, right? If you're saying, hey, this is where I want my assets to go when I die. Uh, a will by itself can't transfer those assets. So if the home is in my name and I want it to go to my kids, for example, that transfer of title can't happen just by the instructions of a will. It has to actually go to a judge. The judge looks at the will and says, okay, I agree that this is all, and, and we'll ask if anyone objects and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then we'll kind of sign off on, yes, that the transfer can take place and then, and then it happens and everything's good. With a trust a revocable trust or irrevocable trust uh, that basically you're creating an entity that facilitates the transfer of title to the kids or, or really it goes to the trust, right? So in other words, I set up my own revocable trust. I moved the title uh, into the trust for my home. And so my home is actually owned by my trust. It's already there. When I pass, there's no change that has to happen. And then the trust has instructions for how it gets passed on to my kids. The trustee will, who, who is the person who is kind of acting on my behalf to, uh, to carry out my instructions. The trustee just goes to, uh, to the County has the title changed. They have the authority to do that. They don't have to go in front, in front of a judge to do that. And so they can all just happen directly and automatically. That's an example. A house is an example, but that's true of, of all the other assets that are, are handled inside of the trust. Okay. So next we're going to talk about how it typically includes a will and medical directive. Yeah. So it doesn't, it's not just a transfer of assets that uh, a, a trust will include other things and a will is, is common, right? Where mm -hmm. are the things going? You include those instructions, also medical directives, because a trust can take over for me when I die, but also if I become disabled, if I'm incapacitated, then the trust kind of takes over at that point as well. Uh, the next one is special needs planning. So it's, it's common for people who have a special needs child who, 
even when they get into adulthood, will need support, right? Maybe they continue to live with mom and dad. Maybe even if they live on their own inside of a facility or something uh, where they're somewhat independent, but still need, uh, you know, people paying close attention to what's going on with them. Uh, when mom and dad are gone, then there need to be some specific, not just instructions on what happens with that child, but resources, right? To, to mm-hmm. help take care of them. And so uh, trust like this is commonly used. They, they call it a special needs trust to, to do all of that, right? On behalf of mom and dad, when they're gone, the, the child is taken care of. So a couple of things that I think are important to realize is with this, with the revocable trust, you stay in control of the assets while you're living. So you're, you're the trustee, right? You're acting on your own behalf to, to uh, take care of things while you're living. And then you're also calling the shots for when you pass, all of those instructions are in there. And so you're picking who the trustee will be. So it might be uh, uh, for me right now, it's my dad is, is the trustee. If, If something happens to my wife and I, while we're still, while he's still around, and then obviously we'll make changes as our children are now adults and, and having their own families and whatnot, then, then we'll kind of switch that around. But the trustee is who's going to act on your behalf or successor trustee is what they call it. When I pass and can no longer be trustee, then my kids or my dad or whoever becomes that trustee. Hey, sorry for the interruption. Just wanted to let you know that you can take the F3 assessment right now over at moneyinsights.net. And after the short five minute assessment, you'll get specific recommendations that will help you move from high income to high net worth. Enjoy the rest of the show. Okay, so there are a whole bunch of benefits to a revocable trust, right? And yep. and honestly, most often with the strategies that we're using, we're typically recommending that if it's going to be in a trust, it would be in a revocable trust because, mm-hmm. well, all of these reasons at the end of the day, if it's going to be a living benefit, I have to be able to control it. Um, And, you know, there's, there's some wiggle room in there that we can play with some of that stuff. But for the most part, you know, having it in a revocable trust has a ton of advantages because you can just use it however you want. However, Rod, there is a significant disadvantage as well. Yes. And that gets at the heart of where we started, right? The reason why the estate planning attorney was bringing it up in the first place. And that is that, all of that stays inside of your estate. So the example I was giving, my home exists inside of the estate. My uh, life insurance beneficiary is my estate, or my sorry, my trust. The home is in the trust. The uh, life insurance goes to the trust. But being an, a revocable trust, or in other words, because I wanted to retain control of the assets inside of it, the IRS says, okay, well, if you have control, then it's in your estate. And so all of that counts toward the state as far as tax estate tax purposes okay good now the good news is rod and we're going to get into the irrevocable side here shortly but the good news is is there are still many things that one can do from an estate planning standpoint um aside from or to compensate for maybe that's not the right Mm -hmm. word way to say it but for the the fact that we might be leaving life insurance value or life insurance assets inside the estate initially. Um, And, and we're probably going to talk about this too, but like, obviously we can change that over time, right? Our one intention today could be 
totally different in 20 or 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, maybe just to hit on what you just said, some people will actually include life insurance in an, a revocable trust exactly for that, right? Mm, Where they yeah. say, well, I, I'm not willing to give up control while I'm living. I would rather keep control, even if that means I'm going to pay an estate tax. Let's get some life insurance so that we have some liquidity mm -hmm. to to cover the estate tax if and when that happens. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Okay, Rod, let's move to the irrevocable side and talk about kind of the advantages and and maybe before that hit on kind of the various names, but what are the advantages to the irrevocable trust? Yeah, so an irrevocable trust, really the, the big thing is, is that we're moving assets out of our estate. Okay, and so that's kind of the yep. whole idea of irrevocable. I'm I'm making a decision today that I can't reverse. So wait, you can't revoke it? Is that what it's saying? That's what it says. Yeah. Okay. That's that is. Here's the thing. That's it's powerful, and that it takes the takes the asset out of your estate. But mm -hmm. it's a big decision because once you do it, there's no turning back. Right. And I shouldn't say that to mean that you lose all control because sure. as the as the the grant or the person setting up the trust, you still kind of call the shots as far as what's going to happen, but you can't act on it directly. The assets aren't right. directly in your control. You have to work through a trustee to make these things happen. And so it's not like you're, you're giving up all control. Well, but, and technically you're not mm -hmm. just supposed to be able to tell the trustee exactly what to do. Right. Yeah. Otherwise right. So like, it's, it's yeah. Obviously... So like while we have some control, like it's not as simple as, you know, you just whisper in their ear exactly what to do and they're doing it, it, That's not mm -hmm. how it's supposed to work. Right? Yeah. And when the trust is set up, one of the things the attorneys will put into the trust is what powers do, do what powers do the grantor retain as part of this trust? And and one of them usually is that you get to fire the trustee if you want to. So if you're unhappy mm, with true. you know how someone's doing it, then then you can make that change. So again, the, I don't want to say that that you can just always nudge is the him case, but pass a, pass along a note that says like do this or you're fired. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Okay, so but there, but those those are significant too. Okay, Rod. So why don't we kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about the different forms or names that we hear yeah. for irrevocable trust, and then we'll jump into kind of the advantages that we get in a little bit more detail. Perfect. Okay, so we often hear uh, what's called a dynasty trust. Uh, basically, that's just setting things up on behalf of my children. Like I want thinking, I want everything to go to my children anyway. Right. But I'd rather mm -hmm. have it pass outside of my estate. So I'm starting to move assets into an irrevocable trust with that in mind. Okay. Um, and again, the benefits are, are we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, another way of people or another reason why people would set up irrevocable trust is for charitable planning. We call it mm -hmm. charitable planning because there are a lot of tax advantages that come with donating assets to charity. We often think about that just in terms of a year-to-year -year basis, um, but but there can be huge uh, estate planning advantages to doing it, and those are usually done inside of an irrevocable trust. Uh, and another kind of major category on this is what are called uh, UTMA or UGMA, the Uniform Transfer mm. to Minors Act or the Uniform Gift to Minors Act. This is where people like inside of college planning or things like that uh, to, to kind of take it to the next level, they're moving. Okay. So put it this way. I'm, I need to move it to my child. 
but instead of a lump sum uh, at one time later down the road, I want to do it in smaller increments every year because if I put transfer too much in at one time, then I'm subject to the, the gift tax. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm over the 15,000 per person or 30,000 per couple in uh, per year, then all of a sudden I have, I kind of have to mess with that. But if I'm under that, then I don't have to mess with that. So I want to transfer things to my child, but they're, they're still a minor, right? They can't open up uh, an account. They can't basically contract until they're 18. And so I have to have a, what they call a custodial account. That's what these two kind of basically are called. Um, And that is essentially a trust. I'm just setting up a trust on behalf of my child. It can own assets for the benefit of my child. And then when they become 18 or 30 or 40, whenever I decide I want those them to, to then take over those assets, then they do. Okay. So that's another kind of category of uh, an irrevocable trust. Yeah. And all of these, again, can be valuable tools inside of your, you know, estate plan. Mm-hmm. So, so we're not necessarily like saying anything's good or bad. We're just trying to kind of get out there on the table, what this irrevocable world looks like and talk about why and why not people would do that. And, and of course, we'll talk about why or why not you would use it in conjunction with um, some of the strategies that we teach. Yep. Perfect. Okay. So now let's talk about the advantages. So first of all, all of the things we talked about with the revocable trust are, are advantages in terms of avoiding probate, uh, including a will and medical directives and special needs planning, all the different things that we talked about up there apply with here. With the exception of this calling all the shots thing, like Correct. kind of. Yeah, you, you can call the shots, but you have to do it when you're setting up the trust. Yes, right? you, okay, you thank you. You give up That's, the control. It's, it's not on an on, on a as-you-go as basis. In that situation, Correct. you're making those decisions in advance. Okay, that's yep. good clarification. Yep. Okay, uh, so in addition to all of those, it moves assets outside of your estate, right? Because that's the big thing that we've been talking yep. about. And Which, can I, just, can I just emphasize this for a second? Because this is a big deal, right? Let's just say, theoretically, that I have... Um, a $25 million estate. Um, but I also have, you know, that that's like my asset base, but I have mm-hmm. a life insurance policy that's got a 10 or $15 million death benefit. Like that could have a significant impact yeah. on the overall estate. So these kind of things that we're talking about are really critical and, and just understanding like the difference between when it's going to do what and why I think is super important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Rod. So now that we've talked a little bit about how um, using the irrevocable life insurance trust or irrevocable trust can take the proceeds of life insurance specifically and move them outside of the estate, which again, I gave you the example of having the additional 10 to 15 million. Mm -hmm. Well, in that world, it would be really nice if I could just place that money outside of my estate. and really that's as simple as it is. Like it's, it's that simple. There's not many things that we can just simply say, okay, I'm going to do this. And it's simply going to do what we want it to. Yeah. Um, but an irrevocable life insurance trust is as simple as instead of owning it personally, I own it in the trust, which means a few signatures. Now all of a sudden it's outside of the estate. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important one. And certainly when you're getting into the conversation about estate planning, life insurance and irrevocable life insurance trusts is a pretty critical piece. Yeah. And, and one thing probably to hit on that would be helpful is 
when we're moving the asset into the trust in this case, so let's just say it's a piece of real estate. Okay. Let's just say it's my home mm -hmm. again, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. moving that into the, an irrevocable trust this time. When I do that, it actually does count against my lifetime exemption mm -hmm. for the value it is today. But the reason I'm willing to do that is because I'm guessing that the value is going to continue to go up. And so when I pass away in 40 or 50 years, it, it's going to be a much larger number. And so instead of whatever it's going to be in, in that time, like $10 million worth of a home that passes on, it's passing on the $500,000 home that it is today. Right. And so, that's huge too, right? You're, yeah. you're basically set, you're setting the basis right then and there. Yep. Okay. So we talked about charitable planning. Uh, another big thing is, is asset protection because assets that are outside of my estate are not accessible to creditors, uh, people who want to sue me. And so uh, when it comes to, or if you're working with an asset protection attorney, they're often using similar types of trusts in what they do, um, maybe for a different purpose, but again, an irrevocable trust could be set up and often is set up for the purposes of, of that kind of asset protection. Okay, perfect, Rod. And let's go into the disadvantages. Yeah. So the disadvantages are number one, you have to work through an outside trustee. And we kind of talked about that a minute ago. It's uh, even if you feel like all of your wishes are being carried out the exact way you want them to be carried out, it's still someone else that has to get involved and do it. Right. So buying and selling assets, whether it be real estate or, or business or, or whatever, all of that has to work, work through an outside trustee. And that could be uh, an individual could be a family member, right? Maybe a brother, or again, my dad could be my trustee, even on an irrevocable trust. Uh, or often it's also an uh, institutional trustee, uh, which is a bank or even just trust companies out there. That's what they do to act on your behalf as trustee. Uh, I have to kind of find someone to, to carry all that out. Uh, so that's obviously a disadvantage. And then number two is things like divorce can wreak havoc on it. I mean, what, what doesn't divorce wreak havoc on, right? As it relates yeah, to finances and assets and, and things like Just that. Like, so, so yeah, again, maybe that maybe goes without saying, but if I've moved things outside of my control, especially yeah. if the estate or the, the trust is kind of in the name of both husband and wife, and now there's a divorce, then, you know, crazy things can happen. So, yeah, I think it's a good point. And like those life situations that come up that we don't plan for. In fact, we, we're almost in this situation. We're planning that that won't happen, which is why it ends up being so challenging in those times that it actually does. Yeah. And that's one of those things you don't want to think about it. You don't want to think about it as a possibility when you're setting up a trust and putting, putting these things in motion, but you're kind of forced to, you, you need to know what's going to happen because, and that's what the estate, estate planning attorney is going to help you do is talk through all the what ifs. Okay. Well, where do you want this to go? Well, what if, okay. So if I wanted to go to my kids, well, what if my kids have all passed, but their their spouses are still living, or or they have kid they have kids or whatever, right? They're going to talk you through all of those scenarios, and so you get to kind of make decisions in inside of all those what ifs. Okay, Rod, let's switch gears and talk about specifically how we're seeing like our clients, how we see people in general using revocable trusts in conjunction with their life insurance. Okay, so the first thing is most often. Uh, they'll designate it as the beneficiary. So I'll give myself uh, as an example. 
the way that I have my life insurance set up is I have my wife, Jody as the primary beneficiary. In other words, if something happens to me, but she's still living, then I want the benefit to go directly to her. She can carry things from there. Um, but if it's, if both of us are gone, then the secondary beneficiary I have set up as my revocable trust. I want the insurance to land in the trust and be, you know, dictated by all of the instructions that we have inside of the trust. So that's most often the way we'll yep. do that or see it happen. Sometimes we'll, we'll have attorneys who really want the life insurance to be owned by the trust. And, and that's fine. Again, it's a, it's a revocable trust. I, the, the person who, uh, who's doing that still maintains control of all the assets. They still get to you know do whatever they want, whatever they're going to do anyway. Um, there's an additional kind of level of, of complexity to this because if the insurance policy is now in the, in the name of the trust, then bank accounts where money is moving in and out of the policy also have to be in the name of the trust, et cetera. So, and, and if, if the attorneys are suggesting that for life insurance are probably also suggesting it for the bank accounts. And so it's not necessarily an issue, just something to be aware of if, if you're considering doing that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and we run into this like semi-frequently, I'd say. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. We'll have people. And and this kind of goes back to a point you made earlier where changes can happen. So most often it's a situation where someone set up the policy in their own name initially, mm -hmm. and then they're coming and making a change to the ownership to the trust. And that's pretty simple. Okay, perfect. And And so like you said, you can absolutely own your investment optimizer policy inside a revocable trust and do all of the same things that you would otherwise. Mm -hmm. The addition is just that you have to make sure that uh, bank accounts associated with paying the premiums are, are cohesive in terms of the ownership being the same. Yeah. And taking the loans and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Doing everything just, yeah. You just have to match the, the basically the registration of the account so that they match. Yep. Yep. Thank okay. You, Patriot Act. Uh, and then the second piece on that is to, to be aware of is just that whoever the trustees on the on the trust have to sign off on everything. So yep. taking loans, whatever, if if my wife and I both are trustees on our on our revocable trust and the, and the revocable trust owns the policy, then we both have to sign anytime we're doing that. So again, not a not a huge deal, but just something to be aware of. Yeah. When you're deciding whether it makes sense to to do it that way. Yep. Okay, Rod. So uh, that kind of covers how we're seeing people use revocable trusts with life insurance. Now let's talk about how we suggest people use irrevocable trusts. Yes. And part of this depends on our strategies. Exactly. Part of it depends on which strategy that, that we're using. And, and the first one is the investment optimizer. Uh, obviously, if, if they're considering doing it, they're doing it for estate tax planning purposes. Uh, the difficulty here is that if the life insurance policy is inside of an irrevocable trust and you're using it to invest in real estate or a business or whatever, but the real estate or the business isn't inside of the trust, then that just causes some issues. So our suggestion is when you get to a place where, where you're sophisticated enough or you're kind of advanced enough in your estate planning that you're moving those investment assets inside of your trust, it makes sense to move the insurance into the trust as well. Cause you want the insurance under the same kind of ownership structure as the investments anyway, right? Because that you're moving the money in and out of, of investing in those things. So that's the point where it makes sense to move your investment optimizer policy inside of the trust. Okay, that makes sense. Um, 
the bottom line is again, things have to match. Yeah. And if they don't, it causes problems, but as long as they do, you're okay. Yeah. And maybe one last uh, kind of comment on the investment optimizer with trusts. We've talked about this concept of perpetual family banking or multi-generational legacy planning is another kind of term. Uh, we, we went into a lot of detail in our episode number 32, so you can go check that out if, if you're interested. But the idea is that we're going to have life insurance be a major part of transfer of assets, not just me to my children, but basically I'm setting in motion where from my children to my grandchildren and them to their, so generation to generation, life insurance is involved in this kind of transfer. And, and so there's a trust that's set up to do that. And again, an irrevocable trust will often be included as part of that, obviously for the whole estate tax purposes, move it out, outside of not just my estate, but all generations moving forward. It's It continues outside of everyone's estate. And so obviously irrevocable trusts will be used in that, in that sense. Yep. Makes sense. And then talk a little bit about the, the various forms of premium finance. Yeah, in the premium finance world, really, it usually does just come back to the estate tax planning because, number one, uh, with premium finance, uh, it usually is done with people with higher net worths who are naturally going to be already concerned about the estate tax issue. Um, but secondly, especially where premium finance dovetails into the estate planning that you're doing anyway. In other words, it's not as much about accessing income while I'm living. It's more about creating this large death benefit when I pass. Then again, that just really makes the decision easy to move it into an irrevocable trust because of course I want that to, to land outside of my estate. Yeah. Bottom line, if you're using it for living benefits, well, actually that's not the bottom line. I was going to say, if you're living, if you're using it for living benefits, do this. If you're if it's specifically for the death benefit, do this, but it's probably not that simple, just in the sense that, like we talked about, you can actually do a lot with it, even in an, irre in an irrevocable trust. However, the game is played differently, right? A lot of it's yeah. on the front end instead of on an as-you-go basis. So you're making decisions that are going to last um, at whatever time you make those decisions. Right. And depends on how you're setting up the beneficiaries or how the state laws work to do that. So for example, we have a, a client who lives in Texas and Texas law allows for an irrevocable trust to be set up with the spouse as the trustee. Hmm. And so okay. there are specific rules you have to follow to make that happen. But in that case, uh, it can be used as, as somewhat of an income instrument while they're still living. Uh, because the spouse can access and, or, and as a beneficiary of the trust can take income while even while the kind of the grantor spouse uh, is, is still living. So again, the, there are some things that, that a good attorney can help us do. We're just kind of painting with really broad strokes right now. Whew, Rod, this has been a wild and crazy I knew you'd love it. Talking about life insurance in a trust. Yeah. Um, but... As I stated at the beginning, there's a lot of important stuff and we get these questions a lot. So yeah. um, if you're questioning about, or you're questioning how to do this, um, you don't have to rely on the episode exclusively. You can, of course, reach out to Rod and I, and we're happy to give advice on uh, specifically what to do in a given situation, or at least give 
our recommendation in a given situation. And then you can take that recommendation um, back to your estate planning attorney and make sure that they connect on it. Yeah. And put them in touch with us if if uh, there's anything we or we can do to, to coordinate. So we'll do that as well. Awesome. Okay, Rod. Well, this has been super fun. Thanks for putting it together. Uh, thanks everybody for listening this week and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week on the Money Insights Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.